Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. And welcome to Nonprofit Exchange brought to you by CineVision Leadership Foundation. I am your host, Russell Dennis. Thank you for joining us. And our guest today is Dr. A. Giselle Jones, and she is the founder of The Right Source Technical Writing and Consultation Services. She's a writing advocate for community leaders, pastors, administrators, and the like, all sorts of nonprofit entities. She is here to share her expertise with us today. Uh, thank you, Giselle. Welcome. Glad to have you here. I am glad to be here. All right. So, Giselle, um, tell us a little bit more about the woman underneath the cloak. <laughs> I see myself standing like Wonder Woman with my cape flying tell us in the about wind. your superpowers here. <laughs> I tell you, I um, I am empowered by the people whom I've had the privilege um, to write for and to work for. They're really the wind beneath my wings. Um, and I can't claim any of the success on my own. Um, it's because, you know, I have been in the right place and been equipped to be the right person for these people. And I like the way you emphasize the word, the right source before, because that is exactly what I do, the W-R-I-T-E, I do the writing. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit. But the woman, you know, underneath the cloak, the woman wearing the mask, the woman who's in the background. Um, again, my name is Giselle Jones, hyphen Jones. I am a, a Jones twice. I'm married a Jones. Um, and I have been writing now, um, really the majority of my professional life. And how I demonstrate that, you know, in my day job, so to speak, uh, is as a teacher, I'm a professor um, of English, of literature, uh, public speaking. So those are, I mean, that, that's my day job. And that's what gives me my passion. My students give me my passion. And so I do that um, and have been doing it since 1990. Um, and <laughs> that tells my age, Lord have mercy. But, uh, <laughs> but I have been doing that for many years and I've learned my greatest lessons in the classroom. Um, you know, I've once heard that the teacher is twice taught. And so um, it's, it's, again, I look at everything really as a privilege and it's, it's and I take everything that I do as building blocks to do the next thing. Um, so teaching, you know, that gives me uh, what I need to do what I do uh, in my evening job, in my weekend job, in the extra time that I have job, which is working for the nonprofit, which is working for the charity or the ministry or the professionals who have a desire in their hearts to do something to make a change in their community. And where I come in is 
exactly how I see my students. My students on the first day of English class, English 101 composition, I hate to write. <laughs> I hate it. I don't want to do it, you know, and I have to struggle with them throughout the semester. Um, and, you know, on the other end of it, they're happy for the journey. But it's the same thing with the charities, with the nonprofits. There is this fear. There's this force that's in the air and they absolutely fear the writing process. You know, preparing um, that, pro that proposal just causes dread. And so, you know, they have a desire to do something in the community. They want to do something great, but they often stop in their tracks when they face that, you know, in order to write a grant, it needs to be written well, et cetera. And so they come looking for the grant writer, that person, you know, and that has been me for the organizations that, again, I have been privileged to work with as a freelance writer. So I created the right source to cover me as, you know, the grant writer, the free rent, freelance grant writer. Um, and, and that's how I have operated over the course of these years, these 20 plus years that I have been the right source. You know, meeting Hugh um, just August the 26th, that's what just a little over two weeks ago, uh, you know, founder and president of Center Vision opened my eyes to the possibilities, you know, that I was working out this summer and building of the infrastructure of my company to, to duplicate myself, you know, a few more times so that I can reach more people and help more people. So again, this opportunity today is a blessing. The past two weeks in dealing with Hugh, have, I've been on a roller coaster ride already. <laughs> and it has been fantastic because it's putting me in a place of impact to help people more, for me to do more and to build upon what I'm doing even more. So that's a little bit of who I am. I'm a mother of three. Um, I have two in college. I've got, uh, those are my two girls, and I've got a boy who's 12. Um, I'm a, a wife of a wonderful man uh, who is a musician like you and a director. And, um, and, and again, I'm privileged to be that, uh, to be his wife. And so here I am before you now, uh, sharing just a little bit about my passion, um, what makes me get up, what, what, is my mission for life, walking in my purpose, walking in my destiny, all of that. I'm glad to have you here. And then just looking at your bio, I mean, you're a tenured professor at just about every university in the state of Carolina. Oh, stop. Your client, <laughs> your client list reads like a who's who, and uh, it's phenomenal. And, uh, you know, more hands makes the work lighter. And so that's right. That's right. I've, I've been a part of this Center Vision team and, and uh, signed on as the first Wayfinder. And uh, we have been building momentum and now things are starting to, to take off. And uh, so it, it's really great to have expertise to leverage and, and uh, because you can do more. And a lot of nonprofits feel like they're alone. And uh, how much does that play into the struggle that people have with writing grants? I know that uh, a lot of times at my first nonprofit job with the Roostic Band of Micmacs, 
Uh, my first day on the job, the tribal planner came and dropped an RFD package on my desk with the Department of Education and said, here you go. Uh, I've seen some of your writing samples. You'll do okay. I'm right next door if you need some help. I've never written a grant. So talk a, a little bit about, about that intimidation uh, yeah. that most people have and, and what makes, uh, makes it seem like such a difficult process for most folks that you meet. You said it. I mean, there is nothing more dreaded than being given and that, that RFP probably coming from a federal grant that required, you know, 20 to 25 pages, you know, of information, demographic studies, all those things that you have to do, plus giving a face and a personality to the organization. You know, that's a lot. And um, the fact that you were a gifted writer from the jump helped. But think about those who lack the skills to write. Um, and again, it's that they feel alone. They feel like they're on an island by themselves. And again, those grants go often unwritten. That is, that's money that that organization did not get because people do stop in their tracks. And it's for that very reason. It's dumped on one person's desk and that one person feels it is his or her job to do it by him or herself. And that's wrong. The, the team approach is absolutely the best way to, to go about this. And again, I think the, the idea, um, you know, that you offer grant writing workshops and it's for the grant writer, him or herself, again, that's promoting it the wrong way. It has to be, it has to come from the point of view that a team effort with the grant writer sitting at the helm uh, delegating responsibilities, yes, that can be that person's role, but that person needs the help of experts across the board, everywhere from just even designing uh, the document itself. You need someone who goes and gathers the information. All of these pieces, someone who has uh, the, the background in accounting who can put together that top-notch budget uh, that is tight and and that's ready to go. I mean, those th all of those elements for one person to handle it, who is a gifted writer but may not have the expertise in those other areas, can be can get overwhelmed. And so, again, having those people on board, having those people who are trained and equipped and ready to 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 contribute to the team is the best way to approach grant writing or proposal writing period. Um, and even and that body of people really from the, the standpoint of all funds development, all funds, all resources from not just from proposal writing because you can't put all your eggs in one basket either. Um, you know, th that team will follow the organization and work with that organization with donors, with sponsors, with all of that because the same documentation is needed, the same writing is needed. So that team of people who are equipped and ready to help the nonprofit, the charity, the ministry, they follow them from beginning to end and let them know they're not alone. So that's that's overcoming that particular, you know, that person who is who's given that that file on the desk, that RFP, here, you can tell. No, if that does happen, 
that person sitting at that desk should pick up the phone and call that team and call a meeting <laughs> and let's go over this. Let's pull, let's look at what, you know, and delegate. Let's look at what, who needs to do what so that we can pull this together. Yes, we've got some viewers on Facebook here, and, and if you're viewing on Facebook, please feel free to send in your questions. Uh, right. Our first question came uh, from uh, JoLynn, and she asked, do you know of any grant funding for holistic healers or complementary healing services for PTSD? Oh, my goodness. I would think that uh, there would be funding, um, federal funding for, and I do have a list of those from uh, Center of Disease Control, um, federal dollars that go toward um, those military, you know, who, who have suffered. Um, there are there is funding yes there is and as a matter of fact i'm gonna keep searching for that and i'll make that available i think that there is a chat form on here and i will type those in as i find them but yes there is several initiatives that are available for that yes we will we will get those in there to you um yes and there we are we we've got um uh, a phone number for um for Karen. Um, okay, great. We'll follow up with her. This information okay. we can follow up with in the chat. And yes. uh, I have put the uh, the web address uh, in the Facebook chat. Okay. Uh, HTTP, the right source, W-R-I-T-E source dot yes. org. So that's in the chat. I'm putting that okay, in the great. Uh, in both uh, both the uh, Facebook and uh, Zoom chat forums. So that's where you can reach uh, Dr. Jones. And as always, our lines are open for more questions. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and now, uh, Jo Lynn already has a 501c3 set up and she knows Great. a lot of practitioners. And uh, so there's some people that I wanna put Jo Lynn in touch with who are uh, doing uh, different types of things, non-traditional and complementary uh, healing. So I'll Great. put her in touch with some other people uh, online. Um, my next question is that you, you've been working, you know, and I know you met Hugh a couple of weeks ago, and you, yeah. you've been talking about setting up what we call a funds development uh, collaboration office of funds development and and collaboration and this is something that other nonprofits can do for themselves tell us a little bit about uh setting that type of thing up it is very very important for especially because hugh um approaches what he does through center vision with the team approach team is very important um, so having a funds development office is really the next step in line for what he needs to do. It takes the pressure off of him um, so that he can continue to be creative, so that he can continue to do his workshops, his symposiums, but to have this particular office to continue to fund what he does 
as he helps organizations and boards fund what they do. The, uh, the team approach to handling how uh, they go about procuring and sustaining their funds. This particular office would be the liaison between or the go-between between the workshops, the symposiums that are held to local implementation. So, so this office would provide guidance after they have received the training. This particular office will follow them and it's got two branches, it's got two arms. So it will continue to fund the endeavors of Center Vision because its vision is large. Its vision is still evolving. So that one side is important, but then those whom Center Vision develops and trains, they need continued support. So this office is here. It will be here to stay ahead of the game with resources, will stay ahead of the game with staying trained and relevant and current about what is being offered to charities and nonprofits across the board because, again, people have various needs and they're trying to impact change in their local communities in various ways. So this office will be equipped to be the support for both sides, for both Center Vision and for those whom they serve and develop and train. So it is still a work in progress. And again, we this is a two-week uh, relationship that is, 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 is blossoming and so we are putting kind of like some meat on the bones as it's as you know per se so that's where we are at this point and again it is exciting so Hugh and I we're talking every day and um and and he said well Giselle what do you think about this and I'm going to put these ideas together and let's work on the proposals again to make this happen because it needs to happen um and so that's where we are as far as that is concerned, but this particular office is, is, is critically important. And again, it seems just a natural next step for Center Vision to have this particular office available. And it is. The work here that Center Vision is doing is designed to uh, help nonprofits uh, increase their capacity to serve others. Yes, that's and right. You know, training and development is very important. It's something that will attract people to you uh, to serve on your board and for volunteers. And having a process, we're all about helping you put processes together that mm -hmm. will empower you to work more efficiently, that will empower you to go out and find others to collaborate with. And mm -hmm. uh, fundraising is like a lot of other things. And, and uh, my whole... Uh, role is to help nonprofits build high-performance organizations. And there's four steps to that. And the first is having a solid foundation where you look at all of the things that you have. You look at all your assets, you look at what you want to try to do uh, and what you want to try to achieve. And as you bring people in, you find out what drives them, what makes them more important, or what makes the work important to them. And once you understand why you're doing what you're doing, you can start uh, putting a solid foundation. So talk a little bit about the importance of an overall strategy. Yes. I've seen a lot of organizations go out and uh, 
take a scattershot approach where they're they're applying for grants, they're they're looking at pockets of funding and and uh, saying to themselves, "Oh my God, well that's a lot of money. Maybe we can go after this." But they right. haven't really stopped to look at whether that particular funding source is the right one. So that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And again, you you the process is very important. And I believe the gift that I have um, is making sure that voice is important. The voice of the organization tells the story. It is what draws the potential donor to them, which which gives value both ways, which shows why the organization is so important and why they're so vitally important to do the thing that they want to do in their community and why it won't be done any other way. You know, that it, it's important and then to, to connect with a potential donor that has the same value that in, in giving their money and making a contribution, they will be a part of that value um and and that i think is important but what i do and have done is to to go and pull the voice out of the organization who are you there's it's, it's activating voice and i'll come up with my own class that i'll be teaching that is called voice activated it is it's just that you have to go in who are you what is it that you want to do who whose lives are you trying to impact first you've got to um, you've got to know your purpose because again, everybody wants grants. That's, I get phone calls every day. I need a grant. I need you to write a grant. Okay, why? What, let's back up. Let's take a couple of steps back because you can't go find the grant first and then write the grant to it. You have to have a purpose first. You have to know who you are first. And you need to have in mind the person or the thing that is being impacted. And you, you, you create a story around that. Those are the steps. So you begin with, you've got to know who you are, and then we can look at, and you've got an idea, you know what it is that you want to do in the community. Uh, and so you go from idea, you go to how it's going to impact the community. You look at then, if given the money, if you get the funds, who's going to implement it? What is that gonna look like? How are you going to sustain yourself if you don't get grant funding? If you don't get that, uh, what happens after that? You know, do you have a sustainability plan in place? So from idea all the way to sustainability with implementation in there as well, those are the necessary steps it takes. But where we spend the most time is at first base. We have to know who we are why you're doing it and and thinking long term well short term and then long term coming up with that kind of strategy sitting with the organization hashing that out will help we can't do anything else until we know who we are um and that's again exactly how i teach my classes that's how i teach the, the first steps in composition you have to know who you are and once we can find that out. I can tap into that voice and then help to create the story, to create uh, the emotional attachment, you know, all those things that go along with pulling people in to know why 
that particular idea or why that particular act of service is so important to you. And that's it. The second step to building those high performance nonprofits is creating an effective action plan. And so once you look at what you're trying to do, it's a matter of, okay, what do we need to do first? Mm-hmm. And breaking it down into simpler uh, uh, steps. Uh, but it's really important to be clear on who you are. And then you, you measure everything you do. And this is yes. probably a place where a lot of uh, organizations struggle because they've got an idea for right. what they want to accomplish, but they, they're not exactly sure how they want to measure it. So mm-hmm. uh, there, there are two things. Uh, the third step uh, of building a high-performance nonprofit is staying on track. So when it comes to your programs, there's an evaluation component, and that's an that's essential right. piece of every grant. It's essential piece of, uh, of uh, developing programs, and a lot of people don't account for resources to do evaluation when they put a proposal together. Uh, and the other piece is benchmarking, which is, mm-hmm. okay, how do we compare to other nonprofits doing similar work in the same industry? Uh, how are we doing comparatively? So talk a little bit about, uh, about that, about uh, measuring what you do and how to quantify that. Because some people look at their work and they say, well, we can't really put it in the pivot table on the spreadsheet, but you still have to show some results. That's right. That part is very important. And again, that is what stops people at first base. They, well, because that is a very integral part, the objectives, you have to have clear objectives uh, that can be measured. And those things, as a part of the proposal writing process have to be considered at while we're sitting at the table. How are we going to measure this? How, what are the outcomes? What are the expected outcomes? And then what are going to be those those variables, those things that we use in order to test it? So again, you know, a lot of people, a lot of organizations that I work with only think short term. They're very short sighted and think that they want to do a program for only one year. With they're working with students to help improve their scores, uh, EOG scores, for instance. Well, okay, how are we going to how are we going to know whether or not what you have done as far as the programmatic thrust? How do we know that you've impacted these young people? How are you going to test that from year to year? Are you going to follow them for just one year after they have? successfully perhaps pass the EOGs that first year? Are we going to continue to follow them until they graduate? Those things you have to consider how long, and then that you're, you're addressing subliminally how, how, how long your program is going to be. So from one year to four years, perhaps to eight years to follow a child, you know, and all of those, those steps in between and parents, you know, being an active part, they have a great deal to do with whether or not the objectives are being met because they th- they see things as it concerns, let's say, that program that involves those children that you're trying to help improve their scores. Parents see things at home. They need to see some things changing at home. Organizations in the community, they also have input on seeing the growth and the development of that child. 
there are many things to consider as you think about uh, evaluating um, these programs. And so that is what we consider at the beginning. How do you draft a, a, an, an objective that can be measured? How, what other evaluation tools will be there? So yes, sir, those are very important parts of the proposal process that have to be discussed up front. And again, having a team there to contribute also helps. Not just one person trying to think of all of these things themselves. So having the team approach helps. It does, it does, it does. And it's a long term. The sustainability and the funding should be thought of in terms of uh, taking a long view of uh, what what will happen over the course of time so this is this is pretty critical um, and a lot of people struggle with that some do some don't uh, and you teach people how to go about uh, working these processes in tell us a little bit about how you approach uh, uh, teaching people to quantify that because uh, quantifying it and talking about how you measure uh, the, the fourth piece of building a high performance nonprofit is communicating the value that you bring to people, and so that will that uh, that plays into into getting people to bet on your team and to fund you is looking at how you what's that value and. How do you communicate that in terms that that are important to the funder? Wow. And again, you've touched on something that involves a mindset shift. Um, and I say that because every organization has to develop a culture of giving, a culture of fundraising, a culture that supports at all odds, getting what is needed in order to operationalize that particular idea. So from understanding what philanthropy means, understanding that the culture involves, even on the board level, that boards have to be involved in the process of thinking through with their fiduciary responsibility to think through why it's so important even for them to give to the idea because buy-in is difficult if the board doesn't support it 100%. So being able to quantify you know, the value is a complete and total buy-in from everyone who is internal to the organization. So that, and that is, it's a mindset, it's a mindset shift. It is a culture that has to be cultivated. It has to be inculcated. It has, that, it has to begin there. And sitting around the table, making sure that everyone understands the value of the organization, understands the value of that particular community of people, because again, yeah, we can quantify numbers, but those numbers represent people, and those people are the ones who have the issues. So again, understanding that and putting out why it's so important to activate that voice and being able to connect 
on a donor level to the individuals being impacted is important. The organization, the people in that organization, the board and the members, all those who are a part are part of something else bigger and greater happening. And, it, and those kinds of things, when they're happening, when there is forward momentum, it is easier to get the kind of quantifiable results that we're talking about. It is easier to begin to do that. And when the community is seeing it through everything that's written and written well, <laughs> I need to say that, but it's written well through the newsletters, through all these things that are showing people what's happening. They're, they're constantly involved. That is also creating a culture around that particular organization. The more that they know about what's happening, the greater the instances that they will continue to give. So again, you know, that organization is not just a one-time giving opportunity. You want this to be a sustained relationship. And that, you know, good or bad, you have uh, where, the, where we need to grow. You have the stakeholders meetings. Those kinds of things need to constantly happen um, so that it will increase opportunities for organizations and, and, and charities to give. So that's what I see as far as that's concerned. And again, um, you know, my particular experience over the years of being the Lone Ranger, so to speak, you know, being that lone grant writer and, and, and desiring to have a team around me that I can continue to, to train in the classroom is one thing, but in my business, to have that as I've been working with these people over the years, I understand why it's so important now. Being that Lone Ranger, like you said earlier, receiving all of these grants and all these people who want these services by myself is daunting. It is very overwhelming. So understanding why it's so important to have a team to surround the board, the team to surround the individual who is interested in making an impact in the community is so very important. So I'm glad for that question because again, that speaks to the heart of, of getting the kinds of results and those statistics that will grow and follow that organization so that they stay, you know, open and ready to continue to receive the funding that they need because that's what you read often. You know, I even read an article just recently that said, you know, before, before you, um, become a nonprofit, read this, don't do it. <laughs> Find other ways to do it because it is, it's daunting, it's overwhelming if you think that there's only one way to go about funding um, and you're trying to do it on your own. So no, this is, this was an excellent question, but a culture has to be developed. A culture for philanthropy, a culture for giving. It is, and I, I just got another question from Jolene, and she says that I've been a Lone Ranger for too long and I'm ready to create a team uh, and need to know where to start. Tell her to call me, my number. <laughs> <laughs> Jolene, will you be on my team? She needs uh, people, she needs, first of all, and, and I'm building my infrastructure as well and I am just in putting myself out there, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to so many people who have such great gifts, but you need some skilled writers on your team. Again, you've got to duplicate yourself at least three or four times. You need to have a few people who are skilled. You also need to have someone who 
uh, is your accountant, someone who is good at putting together a budget. Again, that's a very big part of this. And then someone who understands data. Again, your question about you know, being able to measure growth, there, you need people who are experienced in that to be on your team. Someone who can look at not data management is a critical role. So having someone who deals with that, and then it will not hurt to have a good fundraiser, just somebody who can sell you the, the bottled water that you already have beside you. They will tell, I mean, and there are some people who are just gifted at that. But to have someone who doesn't mind going out and being uh, the face of the organization, you need someone like that. Um, and so just a few people, you know, around you, and then you'll continue to grow. It wouldn't hurt for you to also consider um, some interns. Get interns. I, I launched an internship and had the, the pleasure of working with some dynamite young people. And again, like you said, yes, I have worked many places. So it wasn't difficult for me to make a couple of phone calls and get some recommendations for some young people who um, are gifted in the areas that I use them. It's not just for writing, but I also um, began to train them this summer in sales. Um, I had a young person who was um, my PR representative. She was fantastic. Um, and then another one who was very good at technology and web design. So those things help. And then all of them being a part of this younger millennial generation, all of them were social media savvy. So that helped. Um, but having someone who is gifted at that as well. But all those key parts work to help the organization because all of those things are needed to help put them into the forefront of the community. So, uh, but yet Jolene called me. <laughs> we can talk. We can continue to talk. And yeah, and those, uh, yeah, you can uh, get them. I'll make sure that you, you get uh, the number. Giselle can put that number in the chat. And uh, okay. the other question that, that Jolene had was, how do I get people to come on board when I don't have funds to pay them? And Giselle covered some of that masterfully. You know, mm -hmm. there are opportunities out there where you have students, uh, uh, internships, uh, there are opportunities to uh, get pro bono work if you if you uh, have an idea how to do that. Mm -hmm. I've been exploring pro bono as a means. Now, pro bono isn't great for anything that you need in a hurry, but pro bono right. is another opportunity for you to get services. And when when the whole concept of pro bono was launched, it was centered around the legal profession. But any type of professional uh, uh, organization or, or, or uh, any type of profession, almost bar none today, you can find some organizations that are doing pro bono work. So mm -hmm. that's something that you can talk with Giselle about. I'd be happy to talk with you about that if you have questions uh, on that as well. Um, and uh, so that's, that's very important. Uh, thank you for that. Fantastic. Uh, the word culture is something that, that you used. And I, I read a study that Compass Point did with the Haas Foundation. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was centered around uh, funding. 
and uh, they took a sample of about 2,700 uh, nonprofits of all sizes uh, to find out what sort of fundraising practices they had. And there was a lot of reliance on the development director or the person that there's a single person that, uh, that a lot of them rely on, and that's usually the development director. And uh, this person, they didn't all have processes set up because fundraising is an all-hands-on-deck adventure. For nonprofit, and oftentimes it's left to one person, and there is uh, not what they call a culture of fundraising, which is having everybody that is associated with the organization participate in that. And it starts with leadership, particularly your board of directors. Talk a little bit about that importance of having your leadership be involved and how a culture of fundraising can help you uh, be more sustainable. Another excellent question. Having all of your leadership on board um, is, is critically important. And again, I believe that the buy-in um, that can be shown on the outside is critically important. Um, culture has to do with personality also uh the personality of the organization i mean really because birds of you you attract people who are most like you and so the organization itself as you embark upon uh events in the community of those things that are going to help promote the idea that you have it is best to operate as the team and not just a one person show. I mean, that is, that's not the way it should be handled. So again, I appreciate the study um, that you've mentioned and that you are much more, you increase your opportunities to be successful when you are approaching it from the partnership, from the, from, from the group approach, as opposed to, again, that lone ranger that is, you're, you'll be you increase your opportunities and so that's what it's really all about and even the collaboration between organizations again that are like-minded shows that you have really the community at the center of what you're doing and not just your individual organization but you're wanting to collaborate you're wanting to partner that in and of itself can change a community it's and and I, the the the, um, the personality of the community as well, knowing that that people are there to help them, that people are there who do care about their particular needs. So those things are important. So yes, operating as a board, being trained as a board, going together to receive the same knowledge puts puts them all um, in a better position to make a greater impact. So I agree wholeheartedly with that study. I have not read that, but I do, I, I agree with it wholeheartedly. I do. I'm messing up my screen. Do you see something over here to the no. right? Okay. No, no, I don't. You haven't shared your screen with the audience, so you're okay. Uh, but okay. this culture, culture of fundraising, there are a lot of different types of, of cultural mindsets. 
Uh, one is the culture innovation, and that's an mm -hmm. organization that always wants to try new things, uh, a culture of learning, uh, and that's an organization that invests in development and building your people. And that's the opportunity you, you'll have to offer some of your volunteers, or as we like to call them servant leaders, development. And it could be training in a specific area that's of interest to them. So mm -hmm. these are things when you don't have cash uh, that you can offer, yeah. can offer development opportunities. You can offer opportunities for people to exercise their creativity and build a portfolio. It would be a wonderful opportunity for a student of marketing to come in and build a social media strategy. For your oh my goodness, yes. They get to, <laughs> to put that in their portfolio. You get some expertise from people that are learning. So you have undergraduate students who can work yep. uh, interns, and you have graduate students that can work as fellows for more robust uh, studies and this type of thing. So the opportunity to, to get support, uh, it really rests in what people value. And the word value is something that more people associate with business. I don't hear people talking in terms of value. And when somebody sets up a, a profit-making business, uh, they do it to deliver something of value that people will pay for, that they can offer at a profit. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're doing. We have to operate at a profit, uh, and it's called surplus in nonprofit circles. But the bottom line is the same regardless of your tax status. If more money goes out the door than, than comes in, you're done or after a period of time. Yeah. So it's about sustainability and keeping a steady flow of funds coming in. And a lot of people look at grants, um, but there are so many funds that come in through other means too. Yeah. And grants is something that people associate with nonprofits. But when you get in-kind type of services, such as a pro bono, Mm -hmm. That's a different matter. You get sponsorship. That's uh, right. Individual donations come in a lot of forms. There's the current checks, but you know, individuals uh, uh, may plan uh, for when they're away. They want to leave a legacy. So you mm -hmm. have planned giving. You have capital campaigns. Mm -hmm. uh, you have all sorts of things, and there's a lot of things that that you can do. It's important to have a diverse base of funds, but you gotta you gotta build relationships to get those. And so, but a lot of people think in terms of grants. So, Giselle, what sort of things have you done with people that you go in to write grants for to help them be more sustainable? Because I know when people talk to you initially, a lot of times they are thinking in terms of, of grant funds, but uh, there are other options. Uh, how do you help people explore those other options? Especially when, let's say that that first grant uh, is not funded or um, somehow something happens, they don't get their 501c3 um, in time, they wonder what can they do in the interim? Well, in those cases, I have worked with um, the organizations to partner 
um, with another organization with the 501c3 to serve as the fiscal sponsor. As a matter of fact, um, that, that occurred about a year and a half ago um, with an organization. As a matter of fact, they are just coming back from Brazil now. Um, but the Global Missions Group um, has partnered with a church um, in Silo City. And Silo City is serving as a fiscal sponsor so that grants written um, so that they would have the, the, the sponsorship they needed in order to write those grants. But they also have um, a very robust, as you say, board. Um, and they have each invested um, pledged a certain amount, you know, so that it could sustain those short trips that are taken in order for them to do the exploratory kinds of work because they build churches. They build churches in Brazil. Um, and so they do that to make sure those kinds of operations occur. And then they, they go out and they seek those sponsorships, those people in the community and from the churches that are like-minded, that are missions-oriented, and they pledge those. And so they, they become their own road. They, they have their, and um, they ask for donations that way. I mean, the more, when you, when you have something that's pressing and the grant is, is the low hanging, it's out there, you can't get to it, but you know that there are things that you need to do, you have to get creative. Like you said, you have to be innovative. You've got to come up with some creative ways quickly to go and get what you need. And that one organization, I just want to use them really as the exemplar. I mean, they're wonderful. They have come up with some other strategic partnerships and I have helped them to, 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 to cultivate that and to behind the scenes create all the documentation that they need in order to do it. But they have their street team. They go out, they go visit these churches, they get in their cars, they carpool, they go where they need to go and to spread their particular program or the mission of their program and they made it happen. And then grant dollars started coming in. So the, all of those things working in concert have helped. Um, and so they're one organization that made it work against all odds. They knew what they needed to do. They believed strongly that their particular organization had something to do for the, up, now again, for the upbuilding of God's kingdom. They wanted to spread the word by building churches. In, in places that where the word is not shared. And so they were about business. They're the two retired gentlemen. They, they knew that that was their purpose. And again, they brought me on board to help, to be that person to help them to find all of the resources necessary. So again, we had all kinds of campaigns. They sold t-shirts, I mean, you name it. <laughs> they did it, they used social media. And again, they had their street team. They had their passion, their heart, they wore it on their sleeves. And everywhere they went, people gave. People gave because they believed and had evidence to show, you know, that they had done this and that more work needed to be done, that their mission is far from being over because there's still people who are unreached. So again, that that is an example of, of what is done in, in the face of not perhaps receiving that grant or when you're in waiting mode, but there are people out there, organizations out there who will serve as fiscal sponsors. You have those, um, again, who they come up with, with multiple fundraising 
ideas and then they begin to implement those. Um, but again, the, the, the more impassioned you are about what it is that you do, you have to be creative and to think outside the box. And so that's where I come in to make sure that the written pieces, that the documentation follows their dream, follows their action plan, follows everything. So now the sustainability part, that was a part of your question as well, the sustainability on the other end, follow-up reporting is important. And I think that people forget that and their organizations end up being audited because they're not turning in the paperwork that's needed to follow up what they have done. So you're funded, but then you have these, these uh, periodic reports that have to be submitted. You have to show what you are accomplishing via newsletter, whatever it is to show the community and those people who have given what you're doing. So that has to continue. So again, the right source has been that follow-up aid for technical writing as well. So my work continues to follow the organization. So I have done that uh, with these organizations again that I have helped. Um, and it doesn't stop with just getting the grant. So you're exactly right. You have to have a sustainability plan in place. You have to include in your budget those contractual fees that cover periodic evaluations. Um, and then from the, or the, the funders, you have to give way to them coming to visit your site. You, you, they're a part of the process. They're a part of your big picture once you receive that funding. So all of those pieces are important to understand again up front that just wanting a grant involves multiple layers and um, understanding those layers will equip them to be able to receive it and then to continue receiving in the future. So yes, sir, you're exactly right. <laughs> so, there's there's, a, there's an awful lot packed into what you said. Yes. It really starts with, as you put things together, it's talking with people, the people you're going to serve, the, you know, people that are going to pay for your programs. It's really understanding what's important to, to people. Keep your measures down to the things that are most important. And yes. if you design the program carefully so that it's not an extra burden on the people delivering services right. to actually collect the information, you're going to have more success and there's ways to do that. And, um, uh, and this business of collaboration is going out and bringing other entities in. Uh, when you look at in your foundational process, the skills that you have on hand and the skills that you may have gaps with, that helps you pick collaborative partners because when you have core inner values that are alike, yeah, and you get these complementary skill sets, you can work together and everybody's working to their strengths, not trying to That's show right. weakness. Everybody's doing what they do best. And that increases the leverage exponentially that you have working together to actually get some impact. So it's really critical to collaborate with other people in that way. And, uh, just bring that impact forth. It's a wonderful way to go about doing things. And it just working with other people's important. So uh, I did uh, put, uh, put uh, Dr. Jones, Jones phone number in the chat. Thank you. You have a, uh, you have an onsite link for an automatic calendar, uh, automated calendar, don't you? Because that's what I want to 
put out there on, on Facebook and in the chat so that people can go to that automated scheduler and, uh, and book. Okay. And I'm going to let you tutor me on that in just a few minutes <laughs> because I do want to make that available. Yes, sir. Yeah. And automation is important. Technology uh, is our friend when it, when it works. When it works, yes, sir. <laughs> when it works, it's a thing of beauty. So okay, I see that she says she doesn't see the phone number. Yeah. Right. Okay. I, I typed it in a little bit. She scrolls up to about twelve forty-four. I put it in about thirteen minutes ago in the chat. Okay. Yeah. And I can copy it again and and put it out. Oh, there. wait a minute. I see that. So. It doesn't hurt. I'm, I'm going to put it, to to put it back her. in there because there's been a lot of comments in there and the feed has been scrolling along. <laughs> so that's how folks get a hold of you. It's really been a pleasure. I'm, uh, I, I'm thankful to all of our panelists who, uh, or to all of our folks who've attended and uh, asked a lot of great questions. Uh, there's the toll-free number there, 888-426-2792. Two seven nine two, and I, I I need to get that in uh, into the comments section on Facebook as well. So you know this hour has gone very quickly. What sort of closing thoughts do you want to leave our audience with today? Well, um, again, the 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 need for a team approach to proposal writing i can't express enough having been one who has experienced um the burden by herself who has also been successful and i'm i'm thankful for that <laughs> um you know in having uh worked with organizations and having them funded close to a million dollars speaks to um the gift that I have um, and how I've been able to use it over the course of these 20 years. But I think having the team approach now, having more who are on board, um, understanding how important it is, and even with this collaboration with Hugh and Center Vision, just how many more people we're going to be able to impact. I am excited about those possibilities. I'm excited about this collaboration with Center Vision um, because I know that if he's moving forward, you're moving forward, Russell. You're, I, I believe that our paths were, this is destiny. You're already on that path and, and my path has joined yours. And so you're moving forward and upward. You're impacting people. And so now utilizing the skill set that I have, I believe um, that we're going to really make a difference uh, in a lot of people's lives. And again, the world needs us. The world, a lot of people are hurting. And I do believe that, you know, at the heart of nonprofits and the heart of charities, you know, they do have a heart for the people. So, and that's, that's how I see myself. I'm a person who helps the people who want to help. And, um, and so what greater legacy could one leave, you know, in knowing that, you know, you, that, that I have given myself and my life and my skill set that I know was given, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. I know that I have been given this skill set 
and, um, and, and to be able to use it in a way, a meaningful way um, to help organizations that have this fear of, of, of writing these proposals and, and, and understanding that that's just one of many ways to go about getting the resources. Now being a part of Center Vision and helping to create this infrastructure that will be there to support, you know, the people that come through Center Vision and are trained and, and the local implementation to know that you've got a guide in between to help to make that happen. I couldn't be happier. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't feel any more you know, in position and aligned to do greater things. So, you know, I tell my students all the time, just use me. <laughs> I know that's bad, <laughs> but I am. I'm at that place. Just use me. Use me. Use me. I am. I'm a student. I'm still learning. As a matter of fact, I learned a great deal on this podcast today from you, Russell. Um, and so, you know, I stand greater, you know, because of this experience. And so, again, you know, I'm, I'm humbly here. Um, the one who is willing to serve, and, and so I'm here. Dr. Dr. Jones, it's, it's really been a pleasure to have you here, and I'm looking forward to uh, working with you to serve other people. And uh, so these phone numbers out here, for those of you that are watching on Facebook and would like to, to speak with Giselle at Greater Lake, 888. 426-2792, toll-free, or 336-681-1863, local to the Greensboro, uh, North Carolina area. And yes. if you want to discuss other uh, matters, uh, you can uh, book a discovery session with me. We can do it live or online. Uh, go to bit.ly slash bookrust. And uh, get yourself on my calendar. Let's talk. Center Vision Leadership, we are building the community. We are building our online offerings, and there will be much more to come. We will be doing live events in your area somewhere in 2018 as we roll out uh, Center Vision. And we will have more webinars, online offerings, and such. Uh, go to www therightsource.org for more information. Uh, this is Russ Dennis for Hubaloo, thanking all of you who joined us on Facebook, and be sure to tune in next week. We will have a panel on diversity, uh, where we will talk about diversity and how that strengthens nonprofits. Uh, until next week on the Nonprofit Exchange, this is Russ Dennis. For those of you who are on Facebook and would care to join me, there is the Nonprofit Culture of Success show that uh, we run weekly. And that's something that I host. Tomorrow, Dr. David Gruder is my guest. Next Wednesday, our own Hugh Ballou will be my guest. Thank you once again. And I look forward to seeing you again next week on the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.